Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Good morning. Good morning. Someone's got breakfast today. Uh, it's awesome that you guys already started to make fun of me. It's great. Um, I'm looking forward to that because uh, today I'm talking about joy. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been dealing with this for the whole week, but last night especially, like, I could not, I was supposed to wake up around 6, 6 a.m., but for the life of me, I could not fall asleep. Like a, it was like around four o'clock, and I could not fall asleep. And I re- never realized how how hard it is to be, you know, to kind of do a message on joy. I mean, I, I can prove it to you. Can you do this for me right now and turn to whoever's sitting right next to you and just smile? Some of you are like, yes, let's smile. And some of you are like, you, do want, you want me to do what? Like, but did you notice how kind of, it's kind of hard to look up to a stranger and smile. A lot of times, I think in church, we think that the more pious our face is, where the more like, you know, the more sad and the more, the more spiritual we are. But the Bible is full of places where it says rejoice, always rejoice in the Lord. We always take as, you know, being, you know, being serious, being holy, being righteous. There's commands that makes it very clear that God wants us to rejoice in Him. So that's what I want to spend some time today talking on. And if you have your Bibles, um, open to James 1, uh, 2. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, we will have it on the screen, I think. But he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when, you, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. It's interesting he starts out by saying that whenever you face trials and tribulations, you should consider that as an opportunity for great joy. And a lot of times we, we read this passage and we're like, yeah, sounds really cool. It's so poetic and stuff. It's, it's great. But what does it actually mean? Think about this. Like, how do you have great joy when you're going through trials and tribulations? I mean, imagine like you are, are driving to a church and then your car breaks down and you have to be here on time. You don't like, oh, yes, that's, that's great. I get to work on my car on the side of the freeway. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this blessing. You don't say that. And if you were to start to rain, you're like, you, you, don't, you don't go like, oh, wow, I get, a, I, I get to take a shower with it too. Like, you, don't, you, don't, you don't say those kind of things. You don't rejoice. You don't, you're not excited, is what I'm saying, about moments in your life when you're going through trials or temptations. And I think our culture is so fascinated with this idea of, but are you happy? You got a new job? That's great. You get paid well, but and, and then they kind of lean in, right? And they ask you, but, but are you happy? Interesting. Have you thought about that? Like, why is that so important? If you just got married, it's like, oh, yeah, my, my spouse is great and all that. People lean in like, but yeah, but are you happy? Are you happy? Even the founding fathers of this country said this, that we want that every single person that lives in this country to pursue life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. 
And the question becomes, why the pursuit of happiness? I thought, aren't you just happy? Can't you just, isn't there a state of being where you're just happy? But they understood one thing, that it seems like happiness is always around the corner. It's a constant pursuit. It's when it comes to, well, maybe the next promotion, the next job opportunity. If I could just marry that spouse, if I can make so much money, if I can just get that car, if I can do all these things, then I'll be happy. It always seems to elude us in around the corner. And I remember this one time I heard uh, the story of, about an NFL player that he, he won the Super Bowl. And he says that on the day or on the night that he won the Super Bowl, it was the most depressing night of his life. And the reason was is because he achieved this amazing thing with his team. And then he's sitting in bed thinking, is this all there is to life? Is this all that I've been doing? My whole life, I, I was told, if I, could just, uh, if I could just get to this level of success, then I can just be happy. But then all that didn't deliver the happiness that was promised. He says, I don't feel any different. I don't feel like I'm the greatest thing ever. Some people said that uh, I went climbing mountains and I tried so hard to get to the top, just realized that at the top, there's nobody there and there's nothing there <laughs> other than the views, but at least you get some nice views, right? And so, so you constantly pursue this ladder of success, trying to, especially if you live in Bellevue or around Bellevue, right? Like this idea that we, just around the corner, if we can just do one more thing, and if we can just buy another thing, you know, for, you know, we, we can just be thankful for Thanksgiving, next day we could just trample people, get into Black Friday and try to get that juicer and so on and so forth, right? Like, because you need to have that one thing that's going to be in the garage for the next three years. It's that one thing that you, your life is just missing. And you get the car, you get the job, you get the spouse, you get all that, and you start complaining like, well, if, if, if it was, and you start to either blame yourself or blame people around you. Well, if, 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 if my boss wasn't so cruel, if, if my circumstances were different, I'd be happy. And it's always out there. It's never in here. So uh, my question to you this morning is this. Are you happy? Uh, if you ask me, are you happy? I'm kind of hungry right now. So, you know, and when I get hungry, I kind of get hangry because you get angry because you're hungry. And when some, when someone, and if you could have food, then you're happy. Have you ever seen someone that like was really kind of mad, and then the, the moment the moment they get food, they're all good. And people say stuff like cliches, like, "Well, um, you know, you can have all the money, but money doesn't bring happiness." Are you sure? Because <laughs> on one hand, you agree, like, "Yeah, that's true." That's, but here deep inside, you're thinking, like, "Have you tried it?" Because they sure look happy. Like, I know for sure. This one thing I know for sure, though, that it's a lot more comfortable and a lot better to cry in a Mercedes than on a bicycle. Right? So, so, so having money is not necessarily a bad thing. So it's like you're kind of conflicted but because on one hand, you want to be the philosopher and the theologian and be like, yeah, money doesn't bring happiness. But on the other hand, you would do everything else to, do, to, to get money. Right? So, so with your actions, with our actions, we, we proclaim that maybe what we say is not exactly what we really mean. So uh, are you happy? Well, maybe it's not about being happy. 
I mean, what is it about this emotion that is so important? People don't go around like, yeah, but, you are, but, but are you sad? Because sad is another emotion. You see, happy is based on happenstance. Something happened and you're happy. I don't think people are looking for happiness. They're looking for joy. Joy is on a whole different level. Joy does not depend on circumstances. Joy depends on what's in here. It's the hope, the faith, and the love that we have within. That is what joy is based upon. Because you see, when you get overwhelmed, and when you get depressed and, and desperation, if you're 40 years old, you could have a midlife crisis and go buy a Porsche and make you happy for about three days. But that's not going to last. And we see this happening all the time. You need joy. You need something deeper. Have you ever got to a point where you're so overwhelmed? There's a passage that says that when the enemy comes, he comes like a flood. He o- overwhelms you. He completely comes from every single direction and every single side. And he, his whole purpose is to completely get you demoralized and lose hope, lose faith, and lose your love. I, I remember one particular moment in my life that this exactly thing, uh, thing happened. Um, I wasn't doing so well at work uh, because I went from a job that I knew really well and I got demoted, you could say. Well, technically, I wasn't really demoted. It was more like contract was over and then I had to get a different job, which I, I was not very good at. And uh, not only that, but I was trying so hard to, to, to learn the job and it just wouldn't go anywhere. And I mean, I, I knew that I, ha- I had to have that job because I just bought a house and I finished remodeling. And if you know anything about remodeling, it costs way more than you expected. So, so think of it this way, like you double your budget and your time and you add some more, you're pretty close to what's going to cost you to remodel a house, right? So I was in a little bit of debt. And I remember I moved into this house that was just remodeled, but I had no furniture and I had a, 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 a um, mattress. And this was about the same time last year, about the same month. And, and, and I had a mattress on the floor and I knew that I had to keep my job because otherwise I would lose the house because I had debt and so on and so forth. And now to make matters worse, I started to, I don't know, maybe it was something like my job that I started to cough and I could not get rid of it. You know, you, you went on for a day, two, three, a week, two weeks, three weeks, and it would just not go away. And um, I, I remember I was just like, man, I'm just going to take a whole bunch of over-counter medicine. And I did that. Um, thank God I didn't overdose. But like, it, you know, I took a lot of medicine trying to clear up and it would just make things worse. And to a certain extent, I, I started to notice that I would stuff the, I start to cough things up. And I'm like, this is not good. And so another, uh, another two or three weeks passed by, I got to a point where I physically could no longer do my job because I was coughing the whole time. So, so my, my manager dismissed me and said, like, go, go, go to medical. And they, you know, they scheduled an appointment. By the way, you shouldn't wait that long if you ever get into that situation. So I go to, 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 my, to, to a doctor that I didn't even know. And he's like, oh yeah, that sounds like ammonia. And I'm like, what, what is that? He says, oh, let me check. And then he does really some tests and he goes, yeah, you have pneumonia. And I'm like, what, what, what is that? He says, well, you have an infection in the lungs. And I'm going to put you on some antibiotics so you'll be fine in seven days or so. And I'm like, that's great. I mean, that's good. At least I know there's some kind of end in sight. 
So I come home and I'm like, seven days, this will be over. You know, the next day, this was Saturday. The next day, I'm driving to church. At that time, I was attending uh, City Hill North Shore. And I get a phone call from the, from the doctor's office and says, hey, um, my job here is to make sure that I review every single x-ray um, so we don't get sued. <laughs> Uh, but I noticed there's something in your lungs that is, and it could be, it could be malignant. And I'm like, what is malignant? And she's like, cancerous. And I'm thinking like, wait, what? How did I go from having this infection to like possibly cancer? You know, and, and, and she's like, well, you need to come in we need to do a CT scan and then see what's really happening. Well, you know, I drove to church. I, I, I really didn't tell anyone because I didn't want to think that people are... Anyway, like, so I'm, I'm in worship and I'm just like, everyone is just worshiping around me and everything is colorful and I'm just crying. And I'm like, this is crazy. How did I go from that to this? And I remember the next few days, I couldn't sleep much. I took, because uh, I had some time off because of the, the whole diagnosis. And I had to wait about four days to go to the CT scan or the CAT scan, rather. Um, so, so I remember sitting on the floor, and I was like, this is crazy. Is my life over? And then you know how you, when, you, when you know something like this, you go and start, start to self-diagnose on, online, and you're like, I'm dying in two months, right? Like, and you're just, I'm just completely overwhelmed at this point. And I remember someone posted the pictures from, uh, from the worship service the next day online. And everything is, is just, uh, the funniest thing is that everything is in color, everything is beautiful. And then there's a picture of me praying and it's all black and white. It's just black and white. So the, 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 the girl that's in charge of Facebook, she's like, she messages me. It's like, hey, Slavik, for some reason, the photographer uploaded a picture of you black and white and every other one of them is in color. Do you want, do you want me to take it down? And I'm like, actually, you shouldn't, because that's exactly how I feel right now. When every, everything around me seemed to be in color, my life just took a drastic turn for the worse. So Wednesday came along, and I don't want to make a long story even longer, but uh, Wednesday came along. I went to uh, Cascan. Turns out it's just a, 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 a nodule. I don't know what you call it, uh, and I have to go back in about a year, year and a half to sort of check, make sure it's not growing. So it's nothing kind of crazy and serious that I thought it's going to be. I still, there's a possible chance there. But regardless, I knew that in those three days, I started to, to really reconsider every single thing in my life. What gives me joy? What is my relationship with Jesus like? It, it puts everything in perspective automatically. And if you've dealt with that, you, you know what I'm talking about. Automatically things that you, you cared about, you're like, why am I even caring? About, like, this, is, this, makes, this makes no sense. Why am I buying things that I don't need with money I don't have to impress the people I don't even like? Right? Like, why, why am I doing this? I started to put things in perspective, to shift things. Joy is something bigger than happiness because at that moment, I didn't have a lot of things to be happy about. But in that chaos, I could hear the voice of God saying, I'm with you. I love you. I care about you. And even if this is how you go down, you know me. That's your hope. That's your faith. That's your love. That's what you stand for. 
That's the only thing. And my mom would call me. You know how moms just really, really worry? And I tried not to tell her a lot because I'm like, she's probably going to like have a heart attack, you know, because that's how she is. But I'll get off the phone and start crying. And like, I'll just keep on crying because I was like, I didn't, you know, I couldn't really tell a lot of people. Like, I just, for some reason, you feel like you're alone and so on and so forth. What I want to tell you is that when the enemy presses from every single direction, you don't need another nice thing. You need to know what's in here. You need to, to see, what's my relationship with Christ like? Consider it pure joy because this is an opportunity, this is a trial that your test, I mean, that your faith might be tested. This is a test is what I'm saying. Look at this, Philippians 4, uh, 4, um, 3, 8, 3, 8 says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate and all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry. If it's big enough to worry about it, it's big enough to pray about it. Because worry is, uh, it's a cliche, but worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere, right? Prayer, when we declare things, when we say, I, not today, Satan, right? Like when you start to declare things and say, God, I, I don't know if this is how it's going to end, but my hope is in you. And I know that I live to glorify you. And what I stand for is not the temporary things that make me happy, is the eternal things, is the things that you've told me. Because you see, the, the, the reason we cannot enjoy or the reason we cannot have joy is because so often we are so focused on the things around us and not on the things above us, right? Like it's, it's kind of, there's actually a bird that if you were to take this, this bird and put it in a bucket, you'll never get out. Because he never looks up. He always tries to find a, a, a way to kind of take off kind of this way. And a lot of times I, I think we turn to prayer, we turn to Jesus when there's no other way out. Should not be the first thing that we do. He says, if you do this, if you pray, and if you're not anxious about it, if you don't allow, allow anxiety to take over, if you say, I'm going to pray about it, it says, the peace of God will come and that surpasses all understanding. In uh, that moment, nothing really made sense. How is it that I'm, I'm, I'm so young? I've never smoked. I've never got any of that. And somehow I end up with this. Like, because there's a tendency, right? Every single time we get into a situation like this, you're usually kind of like, depends, depends what kind of approach you take. Some, some, some of us are like, but God, why me? Like, and you kind of throw a tantrum. Like, seriously, God, my car breaks down right now. I'm doing your work. I'm supposed to be at church. And some of us, we sort of close in and you're like, and you don't, you don't share your heart with God, but here you kind of have like this, this thing on God that like, God, if you, if you really loved me, you'd take care of me, but you don't seem to care. So, so we kind of have this passive aggressive sort of stance towards God. Like, God, if you truly cared about me, and I think this is what it really comes down to. We don't experience joy because a lot of times we don't really believe God or his word. 
You see, the enemy's job is to constantly come and start to assault what God has, what God has said. He's always asking, did God really say? Are you sure God wants the best for you? He's constantly trying to throw a wrench into the plans, right? Like he's always trying to throw some doubt, sow some doubt, sow some unfaithfulness, sow some discord between you and God. And, and when you start to agree with the enemy and you, you start to disagree with God, this is when it becomes dangerous. Because you see, the problem with our sin is not that we enjoy sin so much. Like nobody wakes up in the morning like, yeah, I just love killing people. It's great. Unless you allow your mind to get to that point. Now, there is a, a corrupt nature that we were born in. I don't want to dismiss that. But for the most part, we try to do the best we have. And sin is just something that's constantly there because we're fighting the enemy. We're fighting the world's ideologies. We're fighting our flesh. And we're constantly at battle. And sometimes we lose. But you see, the reason we lose a lot when it comes to sin is because we always think that God is holding something back from us. Maybe I should go and sleep around because it doesn't seem like God has my best interest in mind. Maybe I should do this because maybe I should take care of myself. Like, for example, Abraham, go and sleeping in the wrong tents. Because God is not really providing for me a, 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 a son, so I'm just going to go and try to make one with someone that is not God's plan. So we try to take things in our own hands, and how's that working for us? Just watch the news, right? Like, so, so, so a lot of times we start to fall into sin where we, we sin against God because we have in the back of our mind this idea that God doesn't want us to be happy. God doesn't want our joy. God doesn't want us to, to have all of this. God is some kind of like, you know, God that is always just waiting for that one moment when you're just about to mess up and he can, he can just strike you. That's the idea. And some, sometimes maybe it's not that, you know, it's not that flamboyant, uh, but so, so a lot of times it's just sort of a passive-aggressive stance that we take. We're, we're, we maybe don't agree with the whole statement, but subconsciously we agree with this idea that somehow God doesn't want our best interest at our, our heart. But God says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids and your sons, your daughters. How much more me who I am good. I'm here to give you good things. You, you see, the ultimate purpose for a person's life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And a lot of times, you know, we, 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 we look at God and we're like, well, what is God going to do? How is God going to handle a situation? And God says, just look at me. Look at my goodness. I want the best for you in the situation. And trust me, this is not the way you should go. God gave, I've said this so many times before, he didn't have to give us life, he gave us life. He didn't have to give us redemption. He gave us redemption through Jesus Christ. He didn't have to indwell us by the Holy Spirit, but he did do that. So you see, God has a history of giving only good things. We can trust him on this. And, and we go up to God and say, God, I, I, I want to be happy. And God says, um, in C.S. Lewis's words, he says, um, happiness apart from me, there is no such a thing. I am the source of all joy. I am the source of all good things. Remember that pastor says, you know, God is the source of, of his, all the good things come from the father of lights. He, he says, I want to give you the best that I have and the best that I have 
is me. What's better? What creation is better than its creator? What painting is more worth than the actual artist? Right? So, so God is saying, I'm not just in here to give you a gift. I want to give you myself. I want to give the, the source of everything, the source of joy. But we've conflicted that, and we think that joy is the absence of suffering. Uh, I think there's a guy, his name, uh, I think it was Sam Storms. He says, joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It's the presence of God. It's, it's God being with us, feeling the, our pain and saying, I'm walking with you on this. That's the source of joy. That's what joy is. It's not, yeah, there's no suffering. Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have suffering. But rejoice because I overcome the world. He is the ultimate overcomer, right? You know, um, and while we think that, hey, I just want to do my thing. I just want to be happy. I want to pursue money and all that. C.S. Lewis puts it in a different quote. And he says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies because... He cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What C.S. Lewis, Lewis is saying here is that we are getting too pleased. He says, like a kid who wants to play in his mud because he doesn't understand what it's like to actually go to the sea. We are so distracted by the things that promise us a temporary happiness that we, we, we don't get to see the ultimate joy that God has for us. That's the problem with sin. It's not that our desire is too strong and all. It's because we don't desire Christ enough. We don't desire Him and what He has for us because that is the reason why we give into all this. And that's the enemy's plan. He comes and says, well, do you think God's plan is better? Yeah. How can he reply to that? But the moment you start to agree with the enemy is when you start to fall for his schemes. That's, that, that was the, the original sin. Think of, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Eve saying the same thing, right? Like where the enemy comes and says, did God really say? He just knows that you'll be like him. So that's why he doesn't want. And Eve's thinking like, is God keeping something from me? Because if he is, maybe I should try it. The problem is not, you know, that, hey, we just run towards sin. A lot of times when people, especially if you've been addicted to drugs or uh, pornography or any of those things, right? A lot of times there's a tendency to kind of run away from things. As long as I stay away from alcohol, as long as I stay away from this. But the moment you run from one thing, you get into a bad relationship and you run away from this one. And it's, it's a confusing sort of, you know... Uh, it's a confusing maze, you could say, right? Between different addictions and you're trying to figure this out. The, the, the key answer here is not to run away from things. It's about who you run towards. It's not what you leave behind. Is Are you l- running towards Christ? It's not about, did I get out of this or that? There's an amazing song that says, put your eyes on Jesus and the things of this world will become strangely dim. So, so the moment you start to put your interest in, on Christ, the things of this world lose their power on you. You're no longer swayed by the next shiny thing and the next, you know, best thing. 
So what are the things that last forever? What are the things that we should be investing in? Well, the Bible makes very clear. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So what is faith? Faith is what gets you moving. It's what makes you take the jump. I remember we went skydiving and don't do it. Uh, we went skydiving and uh, I remember, man, I, we, we were putting the suits on. We we're so excited, you know, and, and then as we're walking towards the plane, we see this guy just go, uh, go really, really fast, right? And then about maybe about a, maybe 150 feet from the ground, his chute just deploys and goes poof, and then he, he hits the ground fast. And we're like, is you okay? Like, everyone's just kind of panicking. And the guy's like, ah, don't worry about it. He's a professional. I'm like, that didn't look professional. Like, he's like, it's fine. He'll be fine. He's crazy like that. Don't even worry about it. You know, like, and we're like, <laughs> do, do I keep on going to this or not? Because this, this sounds very scary right now. And the whole time I'm getting on a plane, I'm thinking like, uh, that one parachute had one guy and it didn't deploy on time. We're flying tandem, which means another guy's gonna be with me, and it's the same, like, it's a, it's a one parachute, and I'm like, this better be opening, right? Like, so I'm just so kind of freaked out of my mind, thinking, like, this better be good, right? Like, so I remember the most, the, uh, the hardest part is when you come to the edge, you're about to jump, and I'm thinking, like, do I put my feet and just pull back? Like, I am just so scared, and the guy just pushes me, and we jump, right? And then after that, things calmed down. But it was that initial thing where, do I trust it? Do I, do I, do I pull back? Do I do all these things, right? I remember I, I, I came home and I'm like, mom, I want skydiving. She's like, that's great, honey. And I'm like, you don't care about it. That's, that's great, you know? And I'm like, do you want to see? And she's like, sure, I guess. You know, so I show her the video because they, they do a video and stuff. And she's like, wait, why, why are you getting on the plane? And I'm like, mom, do you know what skydiving means? And then she sees the, the, the whole thing. She's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? What's going on, right? And, like she, and then I jump and she's like, are you crazy? Why would you do this? Like, and I'm like, because it's fun? I, I, I don't know. My friends were so excited about it. So I just kind of gave in. That was a long time ago. <laughs> so my, I'm like, so I mean, it's fun and stuff. And my mom's like, Slav, would you promise me not to do it, do it again? And I'm like, I guess I can promise you that and she's like I just don't understand why people jump off perfectly good airplanes and I'm like <laughs> mom like that's what people do um, faith is that I had to have faith maybe my faith was shaken at that point but you have to have faith that that parachute is going to hold us both you have to have faith that when he hit turbulence the engineer that designed the airplane it, it, it did his job and if you ever uh, like were riding a um, roller coaster, you know what I'm talking about, right? You only enjoy the ride if you trust the roller coaster. If you don't trust it, you're having the worst time of your life. Don't go. But if you're just kind of like, ah, we're good, man. Like you just enjoy the ride. So, so for you to get on that roller coaster, you have to have faith in the engineers that they've done their job. That, now, you know cases where they kind of flew off the rails, if you know what I mean, right? Quite frankly, like, you know, no pun intended, right? Like, and, and like they actually, you know, people got killed. And there's always that kind of the backside of it, right? So the thing is, is that you have to have faith for you to jump. 
Faith is what causes us to leap and take a step of faith, right? To, to trust God. You know, because when Jesus comes and says, yeah, could you follow me? And the guy's like, yeah, but can I go and bury my dad? And he's like, no, 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 just, just let the dead bury their dead. Jesus, you're kind of asking a lot here. Like, I just met you type of thing. And when, when some young ruler comes and says, you know, what, what, what should I do? He says, sell everything you have. That's kind of a lot. So God, how do I know? How do I know that what you're calling me? Because this is a big claim here, God, to jump in or jump out, rather, and just embrace the life that you've given, given me. It's not that easy to do, right? But he says, without faith, you can't really please the Lord because you have to trust that he is good. So faith is important. Next thing is hope. So faith is what takes us, it makes us plunge, right? And, and go into new adventure and, and seeing God in new lights and new things. And hope is actually what keeps us grounded. Hope is the leash that holds you. That, hey, you know what? You're not gonna go anywhere out of God's will. It says that the, the work that God started in you, he'll be able to complete. God's not going to allow you just to kind of jump. He's like, oh, yeah, there's no parachute. Sorry. Right? Like, no, he, hope is what holds you to the ground. It's what holds you in the air. It's what holds you. I said this to a YA service last Friday, but when I was growing up, I always kind of gave into my feelings, right? Like where, where I wanted to be successful, right? So, so you're pursuing the things that you're excited about, but then you, you have some insecurity, so you're dealing with that, and you're, you're getting attacked, right? And, and then you have some fears. So you're in this kind of like crazy midst of, of, of fearing and hope and all these things, right? I remember one thing. Then when I started to preach, when I started to actually do things that God has called me to do, I was so scared out of my mind where the first time I decided that I'm going to like preach, it wasn't really my decision, to be clear. Like this guy turns around, we were at prayer service, and he's like, oh, you're preaching next. And I'm like, I don't even speak English, so I don't know what you're saying, right? Like, so the guy's like, just, just get up and just, so I preach for seven minutes. My, my knees are like just shaking and, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? But in, deep inside of me, there was a voice that said, you know what, you're right where I want you to be. And every single time I even here, like, man, I, I get so nervous. And I'm like, did I go to the bathroom? Did I do this? Did I do that? Like, I, I'm just kind of trying to, okay, did I do sound check? Like, all these things you have running through your mind. And God's in, inside saying, you know what, hey, I called you to do this. And hopefully this message resonates with other people. And I'm thinking, hopefully, he's thinking like, hey, I know my word's going to bring fruit. Whenever you declare it, it's going to bring back 30, 60, 100 fold. You see, hope, whenever our soul tries to jump and go for the new shiny thing, hope pulls us back. I, I love this, this, this passage that is just so amazing uh, in Hebrews. It talks about how our, how our hope, Hebrews 6, um, 18 says this, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have a great confidence as we hold to hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's 
inner sanctuary. So what he's saying is the hope that we have in this eternal God, the hope that we have for salvation is the anchor. So if you don't you know anything about ships, anchor is what keeps a ship planted, right? Because the water keeps on moving and the tide can take the ship, whatever, right? Like the, the anchor is what you drop and then it kind of gets lodged into like the, the you know, coral reef or whatever. And it holds the, the ship without going places, right? So the hope that we have in Christ is what holds us where we need to be. Every single time there's a new shiny thing. Every single time you feel like, oh, I should do this. And God's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you should be doing this. And, and like you're constantly going. For, and, and, and when there's a, there's a fear, like, oh, I'm falling, I'm dead. And God's like, no, no, I got you. Don't worry. Like, I, I, I have you on this. Hope is what keeps us grounded. This amazing hope that we have in him. If faith made us jump, and hope ma- makes us grounded. The next one is love, and love makes it all worth it. If faith makes us embark on this journey and trust God on this big plan that He has for our life, and hope is what holds us grounded, love is what makes it all worth it. He says, But the greatest of these is love. God, how do, I, how do I trust you that you love me? I Probably the most powerful passage that I could give you out of the Bible. It's kind of crass and you might not understand, but I'm going to try, okay? It's in Genesis 15 to 17. It's this picture that we see of Abraham saying the same thing to God. God, you are asking me to go. God, where do you, where do you want me to go? He says, no, you just start, just start walking. You don't have to worry about where you're going. What do, you, what do you mean, God? God, how are you going to make me the father of all? Oh, you don't worry about that. I have a plan. God's not really giving God answers to Abraham. And God's like, okay, I, I want to trust Abraham. And Abraham's thinking like, but how do I trust God? Keep in mind, there's no Bible. Not a complete Bible as we know it today. We don't, he didn't have all these stories like, oh, let's look at the life of, you know, you know, Jesus, right? He says that on his faith, he went. And God says, I'm going to do a covenant with you. A covenant is a, a contract, except better. A covenant is not just a contract. It's also, you know, if, if a contract is just the legal stuff, a covenant is like what marriage is. It's the legal stuff plus the emotional and all that stuff, right? Spiritual, everything. Right? And God says, I want to make, make a deal with you. And he says that he asked him to bring a cow and bring some animals and cut them in half. Pretty weird. And he, he says, and they, they split these carcasses, one to one side, half of the carcass on one side and half of the carcass on the other side. And the blood would just drain. And then there's birds and like, it's, just, it's just a pretty crass picture if you think about it. But Abraham knows what God is talking about. You see, back in the old time, the way people did a contract, nowadays, if you get married, you just sign, you know, you, you obviously pray and you kind of ask God's blessing. And then you sign a paper that says, you are legally married now, right? Like you sign your name. How do I know, like if you're a spouse in that marriage, you're like, how do I know you're going to take care of me? Well, you put your name on the dotted line. We, that's what we do in the modern day contracts. Back in the day when people made deals, they did, did them kind of like that, like the very messy part. And they would make a, a deal and they would say, okay, now both of us, we're going to walk through these carcasses and 
if I break this covenant, if I break this contract, may it be done unto me as it's done unto these carcasses. Pretty serious stuff. May I die. May the curse of this be upon me. If may I be, I'm sorry, Lord, but my, may I be damned if I, if I, if I break this covenant, just like they were. And God says, let's make a covenant. Cut up the carcasses. <laughs> okay, all right, God. And it says that Abraham fell asleep. And it says there was a pot that was smoking and there was a torch that passed through. Now we know that that's the presence of God because it's also uh, given, uh, when we see the presence of God coming on Mount Sinai, it's the same imagery. It says that God in his presence walked through that. But do you notice a difference here? It's not both of them walking. It's just God walking alone. Normally, both of the parties would say, hey, maybe this be, not, be done unto me as it's done on the, to these carcasses. Now, what's the point of all this? The point is God saying this, that Abraham, or Abraham at that time, Abraham, when he renamed him, right? I will not break my covenant. But if I break it, may be done unto me. And by the way, Abraham, if you break it, because I walked through this alone, may this still be done unto me. Okay, just stay with me for a second here. God did not walk with Abraham. So God is saying, Abraham, regardless how you feel, regardless what you do, my love towards you is not going to change. I will not break this covenant. And if you, if you will break it, which God foresaw what's going to happen with you know, humanity, like we break the covenant all the time because the whole thing about the contract is you serve me and you're perfect and I'm going to bless you. And God knows that none of us can be perfect. And what happened later on down the road is we see that God did that. God paid for your sin and mine when he wasn't even at fault. It was us that broke the covenant with God. And God's saying, I will still take your breaking of the covenant. And I'm going to, I will die on the cross for you. Think about that. Think of a, a company that could do that. Think of a person that can say, hey, regardless, even if you break a covenant, whatever punishment is due to you, I'm going to take that. I'm going to bear that on my back. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. How do I, Jesus, how do I trust you? Well, because I've done everything. Not only I gave life, I didn't have to. Not only I took, yo, I didn't break my covenant towards you. But you broke my covenant against me. And I'm going to take even that. And I'm going to pay for that. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him. So what does that leave us at joy? Joy is to understand all these things. Joy is to say that what's, what matters is not my current circumstances, but what matters is my faith, my hope, and my love. Those are the things that 
They'll be in style, and I'm sorry if you were a Seahawks fan 10 years, 20, 100 years from now, nobody's going to care about that. Sorry if I broke it to you, but like, what's going to be in style 100 years from now and 1,000 years from now, it's still going to be faith, hope, and love. What's going to be in eternity is going to be faith, hope, and love. Once you start understanding that, you can have a joy that nobody can ever replace. That's why we can have people like Paul saying that I I gave all that up, all that prestige, all that being the smart guy and all that for the knowledge of knowing Christ because I know the things that he's proclaiming, it's not things that are temporary and gives me happiness for just one moment. Our things are so much bigger. There are things that are, are redemption and salvation. Those are the things that God offers. Peter picks up this and he says in uh, 1 Peter 3, 8 says this, All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God has raised Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. We have a priceless, listen to this, we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Now that's important. Beyond the reach of change and decay. And through faith, through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation which is ready uh, to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith is far more, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, you'll bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, yet you, though you have never seen him, though you have not seen him, you trust in him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls what an amazing passage it says you have an inheritance the change and decay cannot touch tell that to your lamborghini or your house tell that to your promotion the change and decay cannot touch and because of that, that's what causes us great joy. And what I want to close is, is on this, is that we win. We don't have to worry because we've read the Bible and we know how all this thing ends. Regardless if persecuted, regardless if we die, regardless any of those things, you can't threaten us. Because we have a hope that is not changing based on circumstances. We have a faith, we have a joy, we have a love that nothing can ever destroy. This is what is so exciting about the gospel. It's the good news. This is what should make us smile every single day. And again, a lot of times we, we take you know, holiness and righteousness, we take those things seriously, but I think as a church, we need to take joy seriously. I remember this, this amazing um, quote by Richard, uh, Richard Foster. He says this, Joy, not grit, is the hallmark of holy obedience. We need to be the light, where we need to be lighthearted in what we do 
to avoid taking ourselves too seriously. It is, it is a cheerful revolt against self and pride. What he's saying is that having joy is a revolt against our pride. But I think a lot of times we take ourselves too seriously and not serious enough about God. Show me a man that takes himself too seriously and I'll show you a man who's not taking God seriously. You're, none of us are that important. What he did on the cross is important. And when we come in repentance before him, we say, Lord, I am tired of my circumstances. I'm tired of the happenstances. I'm tired of going around the corner just to get another, another glimpse of what, what might be something, something, another promotion, another thing. God, I need something that's, that's going to outlast my life. If you want to leave something for your kids, if you leave, if you leave them money, they're going to have to... Uncle Sam is going to get a, a big chunk out of that. You want to leave something for your kids? Leave legacies that are eternal. Like faith, hope, love, joy. Those are the true marks of, Christ, of a Christian. Not our seriousness and all that. Now we have to be serious about God. Don't get me wrong. But this idea that we can just, as long as we put a very pious face on and, like, and talk very high, you know, high kind of theology lingo and all that. So my call to you this morning is this. What area in your life has disappointed you and now you're thinking you need more of that to make you more happy? Which is kind of crazy if you think about it. If that failed to deliver the joy promised, why are we still pursuing it? If your 2012 car didn't make you happy, a 2013 one is not going to make you any better. We have this tendency to stuff ourselves with things that we know, which is kind of the definition of insanity. Keep on pursuing the same things, expecting different results, but the results are still the same. My hope is that we get a hold of joy. My hope is that as a church, we fight for joy. I think one of the reasons I was having such a hard time writing this message is because you have to fight for joy. Because the enemy is out to get that. Because he understands that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if he can take that away, if he can destroy that, then you can be a wobbling Christian. A Christian that doesn't have any strength. You cannot be secure in who you're planted. Because your plant is in how big of a church you can make. And what kind of ministry you can be part of. Not on, on the eternal things of God. Those are the things that we should be proclaiming over our lives, over our kids, over everything that we do. These things will last forever. So what is that area of your life that you thought is going to deliver the joy promised, but it never did? Would you bring that before the Lord and say, God, this, this, these dreams that I have, they're broken now. Could you, I'm just going to surrender them to you. And I'm going to rely on what you have for me. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.